Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Tonight, Taoiseach Michael Martin will join us in studio just 10 days out from the end of his term in office. We'll discuss the highs, lows and ongoing challenges of his term. And later, Children's Hospital at Critical Capacity, Time Magazine names their Person of the Year and the Harry and Meghan documentary causes drama. We have a look at the stories you might have missed this week. First tonight, a man whose wife died from cervical cancer after her smear tests were misread has said her blood is on the government's hands. Stephen Teep delivered a hard-hitting statement outside the High Court today after he settled his legal action against the HSE and two laboratories over his wife Irene's death. The mother of two died in July 2017. The HSE and the labs admitted liability. How did this happen? I did everything right. Stephen Teep says the question his wife Irene asked numerous times will haunt him. Today he settled his case against the HSC and two American labs, Clinical Pathology Laboratories and MedLab Pathology Limited. Liability admitted by the defendants that Irene Teep's slides were misread and that the audited results were not disclosed to her. The labs involved have less than three weeks before the trial was due to begin, admitted their negligence and have admitted they breached their duty of care to Irene. She would be alive and well today if they just did their job. These labs denied Irene her life. These labs denied Irene the opportunity to be a mum and raise her kids. These labs denied her life with her parents and sisters. But most importantly, these labs denied Oscar and Noah a life with their mother. Shame on them all. 35-year-old Irene died in 2017. The mother of two had two smear tests carried out in 2010 and 2013 under the cervical check screening programme. Both tests reported as negative for cancer. She was diagnosed with cervical cancer in 2015. This government needs to start prioritising the lives of women and mothers of our country like it should have done with my wife Irene. The blood of my wife and the incredible friends I've made who have passed away is on the government's hands and those politicians who failed to listen. Stephen Teep told the High Court that the reason he took this case was to get the truth for Irene and also to provide for their two boys, saying his greatest fear now is that something would happen to him and Oscar and Noah would be left as orphans. He added, the day we lost Irene, we lost our world, hers, mine and the children's, but says now they will start to try and repair the damage that has been done. Stephen Teep once again called today for open disclosure and for a legal obligation on all doctors to be candid and tell the truth. Ashling Nikoshthala, Virgin Media News. 
Now, as this coalition came together in June 2020, an agreement was made that the role of Taoiseach would become essentially a job share. We would come to know it as the rotating Taoiseach. And on the 17th of December, Saturday week, Michael Martin will finish his term, paving the way for Fine Gael's Leo Vradker to be appointed into the role. It's been two and a half years of highs and lows and huge challenges. Covid, the climbing cost of living and continuing battles in health and housing, to name but a few. But how will the public and the man himself remember the tenure of Michael Martin as Taoiseach? Well, I'm delighted to welcome him to the studio here tonight. Taoiseach, thank you for joining us. Welcome I want to go back to that news package that we just played and those comments from Stephen Teep that politicians and the government of this country has the blood of Irene Teep and the other women who died from cervical cancer on its hands. Have you? Well, I think it's... First of all, I fully understand uh, where Stephen Teep is coming from. Uh, what happened to him and his, his family uh, and Oscar Noh was absolutely devastating uh, in terms of the cervical check scandal. Uh, it shouldn't have happened. There is no defence for what happened. Um, and the labs today have admitted that their misreading of, 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 of these tests were a causative factor in Irene Teep's death. Uh, and our sincere sympathies and apologies go to Stephen Teep and his family. Mm. He did uh, also and, say and that his real issue was that it was a political decision to outsource the screening of those smear tests and that that was based on price over quality, that that was a decision politicians made. They put the price over the quality. No, I wouldn't accept his price over quality. And um, again, uh, the cervical check screening programme was established with the motivation of saving lives. Uh, and the screening generally uh, is, is agreed by experts in, in, in all cancer screening uh, to overall to have a positive impact. Um, breast, check, acknowledged. breast check was, interviewed, was introduced first, much more gradually. Uh, I was involved in, in establishing breast check. Um, at the time, we did it much more slowly over many years, uh, which we got criticism for at the time because we didn't have capacity to do it all at once and it was rolled out. In cervical check, what, what happened was uh, the agreement was that there should be a cervical check screening programme. The capacity didn't exist within the state to do it internally at that time. Um, but the political there, decision to outsource, he said, that was driven by price no, over I don't, quality. I, don't, I, I, look at half, I don't think it was driven by price. Uh, I think it was driven with a desire um, to get a cervical screening programme established much more quickly than, than otherwise would have been the case. Uh, now, uh, Mr. Scally in his report, uh, Dr. Scally has very clearly said there were flaws with that scheme from the outset, uh, and, and particularly on, on, in a number of issues, not just the outsourcing, because it's lab, mistakes can happen in any lab, whether it is an Irish lab or a lab overseas. Uh, but the key issue of failure to disclose in respect to the audit results uh, was unacceptable. Okay. But also, in terms of the actual mistakes that were made by labs, uh, had a causative effect on the deaths of women, which is, which is shocking in itself. Um, and the, we, we, the, there is now going to be an indigenous lab developed in Ireland, in the Coombe. We develop okay. our own lab here in Ireland, but you will need a backup lab as well um, in, in, in terms of, of, of t tests into the future. But also, uh, we now have much more advanced technology than okay. we had. And so, uh, you know, we do have the prospect of eliminating um, cervical cancer into the future through a combination of the HPV vaccine okay. and better testing and higher quality testing uh, than before. Okay, I just want to move on to um, the energy crisis. We're going through a particular cold 
SNAP at the moment. Are you concerned about the strain that that is going to put on the supply network? Uh, I am, um, and I think, however, the, the CRU and Airgrid have taken steps, working with industry in particular and high energy users, um, to manage um, that uh, any tightness in supply, particularly when wind is not blowing. Uh, As we had today. And, that's, and we had, the, and we had the, the, I was going to say the ideal weather conditions, but we have, unfortunately, those kind of weather conditions that mean low wind over the next number of days, very cold weather, and that could put a, a, a certain tightness on availability of energy. Uh, but it, it should not result in any uh, issues for households. Um, and the no blackouts, are managing no that. brownouts over the, the next the, few the, days. There is a, a schedule in place and a programme in place in the event of a tightness in energy, particularly to work with the high energy users in the first instance. Is there anything households could do? Over the well, next again, couple of the days. Minister for uh, Climate, Eamon Ryan, and his department have uh, put a lot of um, messages and advertisement and communications in terms of more effective and, uh, use of energy, greater energy efficiency. And that's really um, important over the next few days, I think it's very days, important. And um, all across Europe, for example, there has been a significant reduction in usage of, of energy, which has contributed to Europe coming through this terrible winter, which has been brought about by Putin's war. Mm. Um, and that war has led to Europe almost overnight uh, reducing its dependency on Russian gas and oil. But the problem is prices have gone through the roof uh, and that has created pressures as well in terms of supplies. OK, speaking of those prices, there was actually a bit of good news today around energy, wasn't there? I mean, the wholesale oil prices have gone back to what they were at the very beginning of the year. We saw a little bit of moderation around inflation again today. I'm wondering, when it comes to the energy crisis, are you seeing a little chink of light now? Well, we are at the moment. And the problem, however, is a lot of companies forward priced, so we may not see the benefits of those reductions uh, quite yet, but we should see them uh, perhaps in the springtime. Uh, but then we have to double down for next year because we have to get enough stocks in across Europe for the winter of 2023. So we're not so over the worst We're not yet. over the worst yet. And we certainly have to maintain our focus on energy efficiency, saving energy, using it uh, more effectively than perhaps we would have in the past. Um, but, and, but inflation is coming down and the European Union is saying it should come down to 7% next year, uh, albeit that's still a high level, but at least it has stabilised. Uh, and that should help our economy and help the broader European economy upon which we depend. And, and help householders. Absolutely. Um, and if we get, like the package of measures that we've introduced in terms of energy credits, in terms of the welfare payments uh, and so forth, hopefully we'll get people through the winter, although it still will be very challenging. So do you and think then, next year will be an easier year for households in Ireland? Um, we would hope so, but we can't be definite we can, because the war, it really a lot depends on the duration of the war um, and how long that this war is going to continue. It's a brutal war. And it's having a terrible impact all across Europe on a number of fronts, uh, energy, migration, food uh, right. and, and, and famine. And uh, therefore, uh, it is the big dark cloud hanging over Europe. Uh, and um, so we, there is a degree of uncertainty in terms of how both economy and energy fares out next year. All right. Speaking of dark clouds, um, for a lot of people, the real dark cloud hanging over this government is housing supply in this country. Would you agree that that is the issue that this government will ultimately be judged on? Well, I think it's the most important issue facing people in this country, uh, and younger people in particular. Um, and that is why all efforts have to be made across all fronts um, to build as many houses as we can, as rapidly as we can. And that is what we are determined to do. Now, we've been hit hard with two lockdowns during COVID in the last two years, which stopped construction. And then we had this war, which 
price of building materials went through the roof. That unsettled a lot of builders, and they pulled back a bit, and we can see that in the figures for the third quarter. That said, we will exceed our targets in 2022. We'll go over to 24,500, but we need to be building far more houses uh, every year for the next five to ten years. Yeah, and I've heard so many ministers come out, and we had Minister Dara Bryan in here recently talking about those targets and how this government is going to exceed those housing targets. For this year, yeah. For this year. But isn't it true, uh, Michael Martin, that those targets were based on 2016 census figures? And since then, over 360,000 extra people have come into Ireland. Well, so the targets are too small. They're not just based on the, on the census targets, they were based on capacity issues. How many could you realistically build in 2022, given both lockdowns in 2021 and, 20, and 2020? I mean, it takes time to build up capacity. We have 40,000 more people working in construction this year than last year, 20,000 more than 2019 before COVID. So we are building up capacity within the industry. I think we're going to have to develop more rapid build houses, utilising modern uh, construction technology. But are uh, you going to have to increase the targets for next year and the year after based on well, not, the increase in our population? The issue isn't the targets, the issue is actually the, the delivery and the supply. In other words, if we build 30,000 houses, we'd be well ahead, we, sorry, we'd be ahead of targets. But if we could build 35, we would. Do you follow? Yeah, so I do follow, words, but I suppose the government, when they come in here, ministers, when they come in here, laud the fact that we have exceeded the targets. So it's important that the targets are right and they're not at the moment. Well, I think it's... Well, I wouldn't say that they're not right. I think there's a number of factors going to targets. It's not just the census. I mean, the real issue is, can we build more houses than we are building? That's the point I would make. I mean, I, if we built... If we, I, I personally would like to get to 40,000 a year, although the target is 33,000. If we got to 40,000, uh, you know, we shouldn't stop because our population is growing. It, it's over... F first time since the famine, we're over 5 million people, 5.1 million. Uh, and, and therefore, we have to, on a number of fronts... Um, build different types of houses, social housing, affordable housing, cost rental is, is, is emerging as a new popular type. Uh, we've got that off the ground now, there's momentum behind that. And then we have to do rapid build uh, housing as well. And we've brought in emergency planning legislation this week to have social and affordable houses built on public housing land with planning exemptions to try and get things done faster. Yeah, and we do need, obviously, to get things done faster. I was looking at a couple of stats before we came on air this evening. Uh, looking at rents when you mm. became Taoiseach back in 2020, the average monthly rent in this country was around 1400 Today, it's almost 1700 House prices in June 2020, when you became Taoiseach, 254000 Today, 311000 just two and a half years later. Homeless figures, Taoiseach, in June 2020. 8,699. Today, two and a half years into your tenure, 10 days out from you finishing, 11,397. You might be reaching targets, but it's not having the impact it needs to have. Well, again, it is having an impact. Of course, it's having an impact when you house people, more people this year than you did last year and than you did the year before. Uh, but the bottom line is, we have, and again, coming in, you know, we're facing a situation where we had lower levels of house building in previous years. Uh, it takes time to, uh, to, to get it up to scale. I'm very, whose fault just, is that? I just, I'm not going to blame... I'm just making the point. For this government, it's identified housing as a key priority. We brought in the Housing for All strategy over a year ago. Um, it, we've put unprecedented funding over four, four billion per annum available, and, and that's guaranteed and certain over the next number of years. So the key issue is delivery of housing, and it's all about supply. Prices will not stabilise until we get higher supply into the market, and that's going to take some time to get that necessary level of supply 
as we have discussed. Now, we have brought in rent credits to try and help people um, who are renting. We did that in, in, in this year's budget to try and alleviate pressure uh, on those in the renting in the rental yeah. sector. And yet we had the CSO cost of living survey this week, which showed that almost 50% of renters in this country are considering and would consider emigration because of the cost of living. Well, again... Does uh, that not disappoint you hugely? Well, I think you, the cost of living is a huge issue for people, although there's more people coming into the country than leaving the country. We've had net uh, inward migration into this country this year, mm -hmm. um, a, a significant net in, in migration. And even between 18 and 24-year-olds, we've had a significant uh, net uh, migration into the country. There's more Irish nationals coming into the country than Irish people leaving the country. So people so, aren't leaving. They may consider it and talk about it, but they're not actually the doing it. Is that what you're saying? Office. This is central statistics office data here now. We have to deal in, in the facts around the data. But of course, young people are leaving. And of course, young people are very, very uh, annoyed uh, in terms of housing. People, you know, this is the biggest issue for young people, both the cost of housing in terms of rents and in terms of getting houses. So I don't want to, you know, I just want to make the point that for young people, it's extremely frustrating that the challenges they have. That's why we've kept the help to buy scheme, which other parties would abolish. That's why we've brought in the first home scheme, again, to try and help young people to afford, to have affordability and to be able to buy houses that they can afford. Um, and this year was the best year, yeah, there were 16,000 first time home buyers this year, the highest since yeah. 2008. So there is impact in the policies. The issue is, of course, we have to do more and we have to get more supply yeah. and more houses built and build them more, more quickly. And you talk about frustration there and we have seen protests around refugees coming into this country mm. over the last couple of weeks and I'm wondering if housing and the failure around housing, has that created a space which really fosters this opposition to refugees coming in? I think there's, there are broader issues afoot there. Um, I, I think there are some people, not all, no, uh, some people are concerned uh, with, with developments in their neighbourhoods and so forth. Others are ideologically opposed to um, hosting, bringing refugees from war-torn areas uh, and opposed to uh, the international protection um, process and, and, and scheme that we, as a country that's committed to the multilateral rules-based order, um, have signed up to a long time ago okay. in terms of people seeking asylum, fleeing persecution or fleeing war. I think what's happening more broadly is, uh, and, and this, by the way, is happening in every country in Europe, uh, the world is a much more unsettled place. There are wars, more conflict, more famine, climate change. All of it is fueling migration into Europe, uh, right across Europe and into Ireland as well. Um, and that is the reality of the, of the modern era. It's not going to change. Uh, so what we have to do is try and adjust and manage our economy, our society, to deal with these realities uh, that are here. And also, from a European perspective, then, to go to source and to do more in terms of the countries that are under pressure to make the quality okay. of life in those countries better so that people wouldn't be seeking to leave uh, those countries coming into Europe. But I'm just talking about, I suppose, the opposition here in Ireland. And we've seen um, the Mayor of Kerry, for example, John Francis Flynn, who is a Fianna Foil councillor, member of your uh, party, he's saying, look, there needs to be a cap on refugees. He is not a racist. He completely condemns the protests. But he said, the biggest conversation on the street in Kerry at the moment is the growing tension between local people and refugees. Are you ignoring that unease? Well, I, I've met a lot of people, many, many people who have welcomed Ukrainians into the country, into their community, uh, and work with them. So I think we need to get the two perspectives on this now. I mean, I do, look, there's pressures. 
There are huge challenges. This is unprecedented. There's a war in Europe. You accept there is unease out there? No, I think there's, the first thing I accept is the, there's a war going on. And I, from a moral perspective, as the bombs rain down on cities all across Ukraine, I don't think we can say no to women and children who are fleeing Ukraine. Uh, we are part of the European Union. Every country in the European Union is stepping up to this uh, challenge. Uh, I don't okay. think we can just close the door and say we can't do any more. I do accept there are pressures on our system. Uh, I think 65 to 66,000 Ukrainians have come into the country, about right. 10,000 on international protection have come in in addition to that. That's something we have never expo experienced in our history and clearly is creating pressures. But, I don't, I, I, but uh, that said, I think the majority of people uh, do understand the rationale and the reasons behind it. Um, and it is, you know, we, we understand the concerns that people have. Okay. Uh, but I think we should never lose sight of the fact that this is because of a very brutal war, which we witness on our screens every evening. Putin is trying to freeze okay. people out of Ukraine now. He's murdering innocent okay. civilians. He's, he's ca causing enormous damage to infrastructure, energy, so that he c he's hoping to create a migration crisis. This is part All of right. his war effort. Uh, I just want to move on to your own, I suppose, personal performance within uh, office. Uh, your own popularity has grown since you took up the role as Taoiseach. I think you're the most popular leader of a party uh, as of the last poll in the Sunday Independent. What do you attribute that to? Well, again, I'm, I'm not a great believer in polls or, or anything like that, but um, I think, look, uh, I think I've given it everything I have for the last two and a half years. But by the way, this is only phase one of the government. I'd stay on, of course, for phase two. Uh, hopefully, if, if we get ratified by the Dáil in my capacity as Tónaiste. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, it's about the programme for government and not about personalities. Oh, it's still uh, like but nice to hear, isn't it? It is. And um, I engage with people across the country on, on an ongoing basis. I do get positive feedback. We get obviously some negative as well and people are, have a lot of issues um, and have a lot of difficult issues in their households and in their families and I want to acknowledge that too. So, um, you know, I think... Yeah, because what's people, interesting, I, think, I suppose, when you talk about some people having difficulties in their household is that you personally have a very good rating and yet your party still does not. And when I looked back at the last two and a half years and looked at sort of the big high-profile resignations and some of the scandals particularly when it came at ministerial level, all of the resignations came from Fianna Fáil. Well, the, the Fianna Barry, Fáil... In fairness, just so people yeah. remember, it was Robert Troy, Barry Cowan and, and Daria Cleary. What does that say about your party? I, well, in fairness, I think Daria Cleary resigned um, in, in, in the situation and uh, I think many people found his actions honourable on that occasion. Um, I, th I think in, in relation to Barry, it was an issue about going before the House and, and the Doyle. Mm. Um, but I think he is a very diligent parliamentarian as well, to be fair. And I don't think people question uh, his bona fides in that respect. Um, and um, so, but I would make the point on the polling. I mean, the party has done in terms of the, 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 the home, done, it's important, the house-to-house -house polls as opposed to the internet polls has done far better. In fact, very often been uh, second in the polls on a, quite a, in the last two house-to-house uh, -house polls. Um, as opposed to the internet panel polling. And we think the internet panel polling completely okay. underestimates the party. No, it's important. But, uh, yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you don't mind me saying so, I think there's too casual an acceptance of the internet panel polling versus... The, the more, I think, the more accurate and more comprehensive polling, which I think highlights the, the, the strength and the enduring strength of the party. All right, um, but, but I suppose back to that idea that the resignations that we've seen at ministerial level have all come from Fianna Fáil. None from Fine Gael. No, they've had their own scandals, but there's been no resignations, and none from the Greens. I, I think the word scandal is a bit over the top in respect of the, 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 the two ministers that had to resign in Fianna Fáil. Uh, three, I, if you include Robert Three, Troy. yeah, but I think the word scandal... Uh, Okay. I, I use a different. There's a different narrative and description of it. But anyway, we won't, we're not going to argue about that. I think it's, it was very unfortunate, um, um, and, and, and the ministers concerned, uh, in, in terms of Derek Leary, took action, which I think a lot of people um, accepted that he did in good faith and, and, and honourably. And I think that that needs to be put on the yeah. record as well. And he was subsequently, uh, you know, in, in terms he of was. court cases. I'm just wondering because there were other. You don't call them scandals and call them controversies. Yeah. Um, I don't think the wording is that important, but within Fine Gael and there weren't resignations, do you run a tighter ship? Well, no, I think, look, um, f- from my perspective, I-, I think there were issues arose at that time. And in, in, in Dara's case, he took the decision um, um, to, to resign. Mm. Robert Troy took his own decision uh, to resign. Um, and, and, and in terms of Barry, um, he wanted to deal with this in a different way, I felt. That, that yeah. he, at the time he had to go before the dial. It was very unfortunate. Okay. It, had, it had nothing to do with his term in government. It had to do with a previous event when he was a, a TD. Um, so I think we just need to put all that to be fair to the individuals concerned on the record. Yeah. Okay. Um, we did have a disagreement. I felt, you know, if you're a minister, you should go before the House okay. uh, I just and want explain what happened. And uh, th- that's the background to that. But I think, um, you know, that, that's, that's how we approach those, those issues. OK, I just and wanted I think to talk about, sorry, um, if you don't mind, your relationships with people in the dial, particularly, I suppose, your relationship with Mary Lou MacDonald, because you have been described as a pretty steady Eddie, a pretty calm Taoiseach. You don't get rattled easily, but she does rattle you. She does get under your skin. I think I've seen that before in the dial. Um, does it frustrate you that your term in government hasn't managed to do anything to shrink the popularity of Sinn Féin? Not at all. See, I, I'm, I'm not uh, concerned about polling at all. I mean, that must sound... I, I genuinely... I, I don't allow polls to dictate how I perform a government. I know, but and people are calling her the future Taoiseach, as they, if it's they, almost inevitable. Yeah, but that's, that would be very careful of that. I can recall that in 2016, and we ended up with 45 seats. Everybody wrote us off in, in 2016. We were meant to be the also-rants. So that's why I don't really factor in polling. 
And I, I just say this to you, I think if governments allow themselves to be dictated to and influenced by every, a poll every month, you'll never have good government. This government has done well in terms of managing the economy with full employment. Coming out of COVID, lowest youth unemployment in Europe, uh, very strong economic growth over the last two years. Managed COVID probably, you know, a bit, even though there's terrible um, impacts on families, we, relative to other countries, we did well. Um, our economy has rebounded very well. Um, and on, on across education and a whole range of areas, we've done very progressive things and very significant decision-making. Okay. The point being, if you're going to be influenced by a poll every month, you will not take decisions. You will not look to the medium term or the long term. All right, well, looking to, yeah. to the long term, Michael Martin, who's Fianna Fáil going to put up against Mary Lee MacDonald in the next well, election? Well, I'll, I'll be leader going into the next general election. And, and again, if you look at the polling, there's no inevitability about Mary Lou being the next Taoiseach. I mean, look at all the polls in the well, last you said, year. Well, you said you don't look at polls. No, but, just, but, you, but you've been, no, but you're making the comment on based on polls. So I'm just putting that back to you now. Uh, and I think your point, my view is that the dynamic of the election campaign would be completely different to the debate we're having this month or this year. Uh, I learned that from the last election campaign, the dynamic of a campaign takes off on its own and there'll be okay. different types of questions facing the people. So there are no guarantees, basically. There are no certainties. What we have is a fragmented political system with many parties and many independents. Right. And that is what dictates who eventually becomes Taoiseach. OK, we know you're going to be Taunister for the next two and a half years. Has the Cabinet that you have been assigned, that's been decided? Not yet, no. Um, the, in terms of the individuals and personalities, that, that, that will all be decided closer to the 17th. Um, and will you get to choose what you'd like? I, th I think the, you know, I will have my preferences in, 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 in terms of a preference in terms of a portfolio. I'll discuss that with Leo and with Eamon Ryan um, next week. Okay. The rumour is that your preference is for something on the international stage, something like foreign affairs again? Well, there are many preferences. It's not just about the portfolio. I think the programme for government is my key agenda. Um, you know, we did say we wanted to do a fundamental change in climate, and we are. We've fundamentally altered the dial in respect of climate. This government has been effective mm -hmm. there. It'll take time for all that to manifest itself in terms of impacts, uh, but legislatively and everything we have. Housing, really focused on that. Health reforms, education and childcare. Uh, among a but whole range of other issues. Yes, but my overall um, objective is to, to lead Fianna Fáil in the next phase of government uh, to make sure that you know, Fianna Fáil's priorities in terms of a fair society, building more houses, um, okay. doing good stuff in education like free primary books coming in in September and bringing about change to give every child a chance in school. All right. uh, in, in those terms are the kind of, of issues that I'm more concerned about and you know, issues like disability, special needs. I'm concerned about the, the, the low level of, of, of um, therapists for okay. children in the health service. So we've worked, that still has to be done. Um, you've just come this evening from uh, an event at the Oris, and it is also spoken about that you would like to head back there um, someday, but perhaps as president. Is that a role you'd have an interest in? Who has said that? Um, the I, rumour mill, oh, Michael Martin. You're quoting a lot of rumour mills this <laughs> evening. I know my focus is on, on, on government right now. I haven't given any thought to that um, at all. Um, but you do like the international uh, stage, which would be provided to you if you I were enjoy, president of I, I enjoy politics, and um, I've always been on the, the, the national stage, if you like, and, and, and the local stage in Cork as a TD uh, and as a councillor before that. And I've always, you know, I, I, I like political action. I like making decisions. We will not get everything right, but I will do everything I can to try and improve things for people wherever so I have a decision you to make. You know? Sort of stepping out of the uh, limelight and the spotlights 
and a step back from politics uh, when you become tarnished to? Absolutely not. And in fact, you know, we have a lot of work to do with the party as well. Okay. Uh, we have local elections in 2024. So we're already having selection conventions. We want younger people running with our councillors. Okay. We want more women running in, in, in. And so I have a lot of work to do on that front as well in, in the forthcoming year. OK, I know uh, you say you don't listen to polls and public opinion about how you've performed um, in office as Taoiseach. So I'll ask your own uh, opinion. What would you score yourself out of 10 for the last two and a half years? It's very hard to score yourself. I mean, we've all done exams. <laughs> we always give ourselves higher marks than maybe the examiner did. I leave that to the public to decide. Um, but I'm satisfied that I've given it everything as Taoiseach. Uh, and I've also worked very hard to, to have a cohesive government. Worked well with Leo Vratkar and Eamon Ryan that we work with unity and purpose, no surprises, that we work through issues. If we don't get agreement, that we take our time before we force anything through. And previous experience I've had in government has helped me in that regard in terms of coalition building, because we are in a, an era in Ireland where we've more, as I said earlier, fragmentation of political parties. So we need people who can bring parties together, different personalities together, around a common programme for government. Right. I think what people have said to me, you spoke to me earlier, a lot of people appreciate the stability we've brought to government a steady hand in terms of issues dealing with COVID, the energy crisis a and the economy. Eddie. You may say that. <laughs> All right. Taoiseach Michael Martin, thank you for coming in to us this evening. Thank you very much indeed. Lots more to come after the break. Join us in a few minutes. Back. Now I'd like to welcome our panellist, or panels, sorry, journalist and broadcaster Fanula Morn, journalist Michael Regan and political correspondent with the Sunday Times, Aoife Moore. But before we get into any of the other stories of the week, I'd like to get a quick reaction to that interview with the Taoiseach. And I'm going to come to you first, Michael Regan. Uh, Eamon Dunphy once spoke about good Taoiseachs, didn't he? And then great Taoiseachs. Which is Michael Martin? Good Taoiseach, certainly. I think we've had no great Taoiseach. We've had great moments for some Taoiseach. Uh, I don't think we've had great Taoiseach since Sean Labas. Uh, uh, but a good Taoiseach, that's the most you can hope for, I think, in these, uh, you know, these days when there's more media savvy, social media, people are more demanding. I think he's been very good. Uh, uh, and I think that he's been, uh, you know, he's a leader, a steady leader of the ship, so to speak. Um, he did say there, of course, that he's not a great believer in polls. They all say that, don't they? Uh, but uh, he's doing well personally in the polls. Uh, my own belief is that he's now, and of course, he did say to you there, Kira, that he's going to lead the party into the next general election. He Again, they always have to say he that. He would have too. to say that, yeah. otherwise he'd become a lame, lame duck Taoiseach. My own belief is that he's on a lap of honour. And if you look at his... Um, his appearances, for instance, public appearances, he's had a pretty hectic schedule in recent months, uh, even during the summer. Uh, on the international stage. And on the international stage and, and nationally. And my own belief is that he will be looking to the judgment of history and that he will stand down as party leader either next year or the year after mm -hmm. and then go out on a high. Uh, every Fianna Fáil leader post Sean Lamas has had a heave against him. Uh, if you look at Lamas, Lamas went voluntarily. In fact, Lamas's predecessor... And at one the, point we thought Michael Martin might have a heave against absolutely. him. Absolutely. I, I don't think he's going to wait for that. And bear in mind, after the reshuffle 
uh, he won't have jobs to give out uh, down the road, so to speak. So that will make disappointed backbenchers uh, more uneasy. And I think long term, you could see him going to Europe or maybe the presidency when Michael D stands down. We said, Arison Nuchthorn, you heard it here first. <laughs> OK, I just want to uh, move on to some of the other uh, big stories making the news this week. Um, if uh, the pressure on hospitals, we hear about it every single winter. Mm. But there's something I think particularly alarming Perhaps it's because I'm a parent of young children when you hear about acute pressures at children's hospital. Yeah, I was even, maybe this is my own naivety, I've been, you know, reporting on trolley figures for a long time, but I was even surprised at the number of children that are on trolleys, you know, under 16s. And it is obviously nowhere near the amount of adults. But, you know, the notion of, like, children under 16s being on trolleys is not acceptable. And I think, you know, even you saying we hear about trolley numbers every year as if that's normal, as if we're supposed to be hearing about that. We're not. We've been in a health crisis for a long time. And I think the thing now that's compounding it is what the hospitals are saying today is this is like a COVID hangover. You know, we're not as... Um, immune as we, we would have been. You know, these are children who maybe like missed out on school and who were wearing masks and babies who were born in lockdown and they don't have the same sort of immunity that we would be used to. And it has become this perfect storm of, you know, RSV, strep A, these different bugs and viruses going around and then hospitals that are pushed to their absolute limit. And that goes for children's hospitals as well. You know, we had an announcement from the hospital saying, please don't bring your children to your children's hospital unless it's emergency. Yeah. Go to the GP, go to see a paediatrician, go to the local services, but if you can avoid it, don't come to a children's hospital. And I think that is very stark as we just come under the cold snap of Christmas. Yeah, and we've also had that um, direction today from the HSE that if your child has a cough, has a fever, has any sort of a runny nose, and any parent I know will be nodding their head saying all mm -hmm. of the above all of the time since the beginning of November, don't send them into school. So what do parents do here? Yeah, you're nearly wondering, are we going to see people opting out of school for a little while, almost going back to self-imposed lockdowns ahead of Christmas, which is not something we want to be contemplating going into what's supposed to be our first normal Christmas in years. So whether that comes to pass or not, we'll see. But as you say, it's been this cycle of people just having the kids in and out of school nonstop, runny noses galore, and just the hospital so inundated and friends leaving all of the nursing posts after the pandemic, and you can't blame them either. Yeah. So, yeah. It creates fear, doesn't it, Michael, among parents? Incredible fear. And, uh, and uncertainty about yeah. what to do. What's the right thing to what do What is here? the right thing to do? And then echoes, uh, indeed, echoes of lockdown, oh. where, you know, mm. keep your children at home. And, again, a failure of the health service as well. I mean, the two areas uh, where this government and previous governments have failed, housing and health. And it's quite astonishing that a country that was so rich at one time, and still relatively wealthy, can't get these two critical areas right. Yeah, and that is going to be, just to go back to that interview we did, that is going yeah. to be a real blot, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked about housing in that interview, and now we're talking about the health system. Um, it's a blot on the copybook of the Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael governments. Absolu yeah. Absolutely. And uh, uh, which will make the next general election, unless there's a dramatic improvement in housing, mm -hmm. and indeed in the health services, will make the next general election about housing and health. 
and will be a difficult one for the three outgoing parties unless there's significant improvement in those two areas. Yeah, I just add to that. It's not a failure of the health service. It's a failure of the government. It's not the health service's fault. It's the government. This, and this is successive governments that we've seen. And the crisis that we're seeing in the health service is also linked to the housing crisis. The crisis that we're seeing in teachers is linked to the mm. housing crisis. These people in our frontline services who we trust with the most vulnerable people in our community can't afford to live in our big cities. That's a failure of government. And that, if it is not started in the next two years, which I can't see it being, that is what this government will be remembered for. All right, we're going to leave it there for now. But after the break, that explosive Harry and Meghan doc. Have you watched it? Times Person of the Year. And what did Ireland Google the most in 2022? Join us after this break. back. My panel of Fanula Moran, Michael Regan and Aoife Moore are still with us and I want to start with the story that we don't want to admit that we're all talking about but we are Fanula and that's the Harry and Meghan documentary. Why? You've watched it, Why I've watched an hour, I know you've it. watched two hours yeah, Aoife Moore and even you've watched a bit Michael Regan. I've seen some of it yes. What did you think of it? I'm not proud of it, but I've seen something. <laughs> Me neither, Michael. I, 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 oh, there's no judgment. Research purposes. There's no judgment. There's no shame in this studio. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? I think it's mad that we care about the royal family at here, over here at all. Um, I feel like it's a bit of a Stockholm syndrome we have going on that we do get so invested in them. I've watched an hour and a half. This is a classic case of Netflix again. There's going to be six hours of this. This needed a much tighter edit. It's very self-indulgent. They're kind of repeating the same points for half an hour at a time. It could have been maybe an hour and a half long documentary from what I've seen so far. Now, that's not to say it's not without merit. They're kind of breaking down the propaganda machine of what they went through. I think there's a lot of interesting insights to come from that. And um, there's a lot of reflection on Harry's own journey with race through it as well. He reflects on his wearing of the Nazi uniform years ago and calls it the biggest mistake he ever made in his life. Um, and now reflects on his journey as a father of mixed race children. So there's a lot of interesting insights in his growth there. But yeah, for the most part, it just seems like they're kind of trying to crawl back from royal fame to the level of fame Meghan enjoyed before she was part of the royal family and the bludgeon of the UK tabloid press. Yeah, speaking of the UK tabloid press, uh, Michael Regan, the Sun newspaper tomorrow has Harry the Nasty. How do you think this is going to be received in the UK, that they have done this? I think among the royalists very badly. Uh, uh, now, they're diminishing in numbers, mm. uh, and particularly since the Queen died, and she was pretty well universally liked. And she was the one person within this very dysfunctional family uh, who stood out uh, as very admirable, and, you know, her visit to Ireland, etc. But among the royalists, I think it'll go down very badly because they'll see uh, this couple, this spoiled couple, you know, overpaid, underworked. I mean, what did they do with their time, apart from... Earning money. Charity. Uh, 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 They've uh, also uh, called it a declaration of war over there, which I think is very rich from the empire that they are to call this a declaration of war, a documentary, like, come on. Yeah, but th I think they're setting old scores as well. There's, there were clearly huge personality tensions within the family. And I, I can't understand the criticism of the fact that it's hierarchical. Of course it's hierarchical. You have a king and then you have, a, at the moment, a consort and you have, you have a chain down the line, you know, where they all have different titles. I think if they had it real is what jobs, it is. if they had real jobs, and thank God we don't have a monarchy in this country, but if they had real jobs, we'd hear less from them. Uh, Aoife? 
I don't know why people get so hot and bothered about it. I mean, every family has their issues, but no family has more issues than the royal family. I think he was 100% right to get out of it. Go over to America, love a nice life with your beautiful children and wife, make as much money as you can. And but I is just, there not I, a hypocrisy here because they talk all the time about the feeding frenzy from the media, the obsession well, of you, the media, the invasion of their privacy, and then they invite the cameras in when for you a watch, six When you watch the documentary, they're very clear. At, they have said there has been so much misinformation about them, about their life and about what happened to them that they want to set the record straight and this is how they're going to do so it. So if you're buying this up, lock, stock and buy. I just don't want it. <laughs> I love nothing more than people like Pierce Morgan losing their minds over <laughs> Harry and Meghan. So why not? I don't understand why people are so annoyed. None of us would want to be in the royal family. None of us would put up with Meghan, put up with... Let them make a Netflix documentary. So what odds is it? I'm <laughs> to see as well now that they have set the record straight okay. and said their piece and maybe Excuse me, the they're taking the full six hours to do that. Maybe they will step back now and maybe they will enjoy that privacy now and go play on their lovely estate with their chicken coop that I'm so jealous of. Yeah, I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> moving on, uh, Time magazine, Michael, have named Zelensky yeah. and the spirit of Ukraine as their person of the year. I mean, in fairness... He was once seen as a lightweight. He certainly isn't anymore. He is a definition of leadership, isn't he? He is. Uh, the war has made him uh, an international hero, star. And it was inevitable, I think, that uh, time would choose him. Always, uh, it used to be terribly, pre very prestigious, mm. but in a declining media, it's probably this. So it's, uh, but it's still hugely prestigious. And he is the person of the year, no doubt about it. And he has grown. Uh, his stature has grown during the war. And the way that he has managed, I think, to galvanise yeah. the Ukrainian people and keep mm. them on side nine, ten months later so that yeah. they, their will to defeat Russia is still as strong as ever is quite incredibly fair. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think the thing, and we all know this, that the more united the West are against Russia, gets right up Putin's nose. Putin's absolutely going to hate this. And I think it's the, you know, the universality of the West being united against uh, Russia is definitely something that is on Ukraine's side. It's something they take great heart from. Some of this I find very performative. I mean, we had Sean Penn over there a couple of months ago giving him his Oscars if that was going to change anything for the Ukrainian people. So I do think some of it is performative. I don't think this is really going to help the Ukrainian people in the long run that Zelensky was time person. But perhaps it just keeps, it's, keeps the plight of Ukrainian people to let in them the know news. that we're all behind us. But in the long run, does it, does it really make a difference? Uh, I just want to move on I finally think, to. Just on that, I, think, I think the criticism of politicians who have visited Ukraine has been very, very unfair. You know, I mean, sometimes politicians can't win. If you go to a war zone, you're criticised. If you don't go, you're criticised. To be fair, I was talking about Sean Payne. Yes. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. I understand OK, that. just I'm very not, finally, Google Words of the Year. What have we been searching in Ireland for now? Star Martinis. <laughs> Lots of other stuff as well. Uh, Wordle, Hurdle, Quirdle. I'd never even heard of that one. Wordle, like, everyone's playing it. There's all these variations of it as well. They've been hugely popular. And um, there's a lot of darker ones in there. We had Ukraine was in number two, Queen Elizabeth number three, and the death of Ashleen Murphy very sad at number four as well. So some really dark bits in the top 10 there of the year as well.
All right. Uh, Aoife, it's amazing that there's certain stories that really capture people's uh, attention and imagination, isn't there? I think Ashley Murphy, you know, the death of Ashley Murphy and everything that came along with it. And it was at the very start of the year, I remember, because it was still dark outside in the mornings, mm. the day I found out about it when I re read it in the papers. And it's been the whole year. I don't think anyone has really, it hasn't left anyone's mind. Um, no one is surprised when you say that was just this year. You know, sometimes a story gets old. I don't think anyone feels that about Ashley Murphy. And okay. I think it will be one of those things when we look back at that we will remember. From 2022. Yeah. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. My thanks to all of my guests this evening from the late team here. Good night and do take care.